Reserve, your exclusive entertainment law and law school podcast with your hosts, Kayla and Suna. Today, we are super excited to have another set of guests on our podcast, and these are the founding partners of Create LLP, an intellectual property and entertainment law law firm. And we are so excited to have them. Um, I personally know them. I was able to work with them. Um, at Harder LLP, which is the entertainment law firm that I worked at after I graduated from undergrad. So we're super excited to have them on today, and I can't wait. Thank you, Ted and Seema, for joining us. We're so excited to have you on today. Um, I can't wait to catch up with you, um, get to know a little bit more about, you know, your new firm and how that's going. Well, not technically new. I guess you guys have been doing it for quite some time now, but we're both really, really excited to have you on. So thank you for joining us. We're really excited. Thanks for Um, having us. Yeah, no problem. So let's start, you know, the first question. Um, Ted, why don't we start with you? So sure. why don't you tell us, you know, why you chose entertainment law and, you know, how that path to entertainment law, you know, became? Yeah. Um, so I always kind of knew that I wanted to be an attorney. My dad was a judge, um, retired now, but I've always had a chance to kind of witness what it was like for him and the way he was able to help people um, as an attorney which I thought was awesome. I, at the same time though, in college, I was also pursuing photography. So those two things kind of worked in tandem together where I wasn't mm-hmm. really sure where I was gonna go, but I was just gonna do both at the same time and kind of just go with the flow. Um, both paths never really prevented me from pursuing both at the same time. So the answer was never that definitive. Um, so mm-hmm. even while in law school, I was doing a lot of photography, um, but I knew that for sure, because because of my work as a photographer, I wanted to stay in the creative space um, and still work with artists and stay really connected with the, like the cultural tastemakers of the world. I didn't want to become a lawyer and then suddenly feel so far removed from everything that I wanted to be a mm-hmm. part of. I didn't want to just do, you know, and all these practices are fine, but I didn't want to do like personal injury or med malware. <laughs> You know, my day-to-day isn't about learning about what's happening in the entertainment space and, you know, watching cool movies. Like, I watch a film and that's relevant to my job, you know? Um, So Mm -hmm. that's, like, the cool thing about what we do. And I've always wanted that for myself. I never thought it would be possible, just given how many people want to work in entertainment. When you are, when you do go to an L.A. law school, literally everyone wants to work in entertainment. So I kind (laughs) of resigned to the fact you know, maybe entertainment's not going to work for me, but I can do corporate and see how that bleeds into some of the more creative stuff if I couldn't find my way in. Um, but I got really lucky and landed a job at an entertainment firm right after law school. And that's actually how I met you, Kayla. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Ted, what kind of lawyer was your was your dad, actually? I, I don't even yeah. think I know. So my dad works in the workers' comp space. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, in Orange County, so he did a lot of stuff with like Disneyland, the Anaheim Angels, is that, I think it's Angels, I don't know yeah. sports really well, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what he did. So he's been a great oh, cool. resource for my corporate clients who have to deal with employment matters. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. I love employment law. I actually just had a, an internship with an employment lawyer and it, it's so much fun. I'm really, really into it now, so what? I don't know. It's, there is a lot of jobs in that space, so a ton. not a bad place to be. Even yeah. in media, media and employment mm-hmm. intersects really well. Yes. Well, that's kind of where I want to I want to head to, but we'll see about that. Um, Seema, why don't you take it away? Um, tell us, you know, why entertainment law and kind of why you decided to go to law school. Sure. Um, I actually have a biology degree from undergrad. And I was set on like a pre-dental track. Um, So I was actually envisioning that I would go to dental school after graduating undergrad. Um, I held on that plan and I took a year off after college 
um, I decided not to go to dental school, dental school and to defer my admission. <laughs> and um, I ended up like just trying to see what else I appreciated and where I wanted to spend all my time. Um, I, my, my parents um, live across the street from the district attorney of Riverside or at the time they Ooh. did. And he knew like the superior court of the river superior, what was it? The presiding judge of the superior rivers court of Riverside, California. And I ended up like interning and basically like shadowing judges oh, in wow. criminal court. Okay. And I thought it was really interesting because I would like see a trial go on for a month and all of these stories would come together. Like there are these like, people in prison who like killed someone while in prison and the hit happened over the phone. And there was like a doctor's analysis of what drugs the pe like these people were on that might've influenced their de decisions. So oh I, there, were, there were so many stories that came together and I've always loved writing and creative writing and like perspective opinion pieces. Um, and I just decided, to, I was like, look, like lawyers are writing and reading all the time. And I love like that like the theory of knowledge and all this. So I went, I applied to law school. I got into Loyola um, and I was on the track of doing patent and trademark law. So hard intellectual property because I had the biology background. Mm -hmm. Turns out biology is not good enough for patent lawyers. <laughs> no. And also like, I'm not the traditional patent lawyer. So I just, I felt like I never really fit into the, to the patent world. Um, and I just like, after law school, I was working part-time at a patent firm. Um, I passed the bar. I wasn't even like, like I had no full-time thing lined up. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, an ex-boyfriend in the past had told me I would never make it as an entertainment lawyer. So I didn't even like contemplate it, which was really silly in hindsight, but. Um, well, he was I, wrong, clearly. He was, he was wrong. <laughs> so I hope he listens to this podcast and, and hears the truth. Um, but I, I still like, I really appreciated this aspect of protecting creativity and intellectual mm -hmm. property and brand protection and reputation. Mm -hmm. And that's when I just spoke with everyone I knew. One of my professors at Loyola put me in touch with my and Ted's former boss and we hit it off and I was working there part-time. I was working at the patent firm part-time. No one was committing to me. I was commuting from Orange County to LA and it was really rough. And even back then, I remember like telling one of my mentors that I felt like I was just wasting time. And I was just putting binders together for one of the litigation um, associates. I think Ted and Kayla know who I'm referring to. And I was just so I tired. Not, <laughs> I was so tired of putting these binders together. And she was like, look, like that's oh. the thing that you're meant to do right now. So uh -huh. if you're going to have to put a binder together, like make it the best damn binder that, that, that this firm has seen. So I just put like all of my effort into these binders and it oh seems silly, right? But it's just like, it's a foundational thing where you are the youngest, you're the lowest on the totem pole, but it like, like that, that project just like built up into other projects. And I, and I started to see how everything fit together. Um, but that's how I ended up in entertainment and it's been great since then. That's awesome. I love the make the best binder you can make mentality because you're totally right. And like, even in various like internships we've had between the two of us, uh, like a lot of the stuff we end up doing is research or spreadsheets, or, I mean, we do get to drafting, but like a lot of it is that preliminary work that helps the supervising attorney kind of like get what they need to do done. Um, and I, I, I like that mentality instead of being annoyed that that's what you have to do, just commit to being the best that you can be. I love exactly. that. That's what, and, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on, Kayla. No, I was going to say I'm bracing myself for that. I already know that that's what I got. Like <laughs> well, so. and it's even like, like we've, we've had interns too, and we've given them like these research projects or dig through Facebook to look for that one image that was infringing on something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, it's something that first, like Ted and I may not have time for anymore, but also it like helps you like understand where everything fits mm -hmm. in the larger picture. So it all matters. And, but it, but it's hard being, it's hard being a young attorney. I don't think I felt confident until I was like three or three or four yeah. years out. Yeah. 
I, I definitely feel that because like, I mean, we're about to graduate and, you know, do the bar and, and take the, you know, the job hunting adventure. And like, mm-hmm. at this point, I feel like I've had all these internships, but do I even know anything? Cause I know some things, but I'm like, am I a lawyer? Am I able to be a lawyer? But I think, um, obviously we learn and, um, mm-hmm. those, those few, first few years are, I feel like when a lot of the learning happens at a fast pace. For sure. Yeah. And my yeah. mentality is just that you're never going to know everything. There's always yeah. going to be a new challenge, right. no matter how experienced you are. Mm-hmm. But as long as you know more than your client, you're providing them value, right? There Even if it's just a tiny little thing more than them, which you should at this point, now that you're three L's, right? Mm-hmm. You know much more than the average person. Therefore, you would make a great lawyer for someone. Well, that's wonderful. So thank true. you for, thank you for saying week. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's actually such a great way to put it. Cause I, I, after going through law school, I look back like when, you know, we guy we all met and I'm like, wow, I, I was so dumb and naive back yeah. then. Like not dumb, but I just, I know so much more now and I feel more confident with, you know, my abilities and stuff, you know, even making imposter those Imposter syndrome. When, yeah. Imposter yeah. syndrome gets worse as you get mm-hmm. higher up in life, but starting your own business, you kind of have to figure out like, yeah, I do bring value to people. Therefore, I can charge these rates because I simply know more than you. <laughs> right. And, and even like, yeah. And even like when I was a younger associate, I would feel so nervous that I was spending so much time on a project. I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's taking too long. I'm researching in circles. Uh, this is bad work product. But you realize that when you're working at a firm or somewhere else, your rates are lower to accommodate for that extra time. Mm. So for anyone listening, like don't feel don't feel bad about spending quote unquote too much time and don't cut your hours. Don't try to accommodate. The partner for will any do of that. that for you. Yeah, it's it's all built into the system. Right. That's really good to know. I'm actually currently in that predicament myself. I have a I clerk for an entertainment litigation firm, like on a project basis, oh, and great. I have a research memo due about employment law funnily enough. And I literally feel like I've been researching in circles for the past three days. And I feel like I'm wasting so much time. And, but at the same time, like it, I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I've, I've looked at this so much that I feel like I keep coming up with the same things. So I must be on the right track. Yeah. So it's good to know that that's normal. Cause sometimes I feel bad. Cause I'm like, well, what if they needed this sooner? But then Maybe they would have told me if they needed it sooner. And just like keep checking in, you know, check in and let them know. Like I always appreciate when someone I'm working with will let me know like, hey, it's Mm -hmm. taken me seven hours so far. How much more should I research? This Mm -hmm. is what I came up with. You know, just Mm -hmm. like progress updates because they're probably not thinking of it on, or they they might be thinking of it at the end of the day. Like, I wonder what Kayla's been working on. Like, I wonder where she's at. Um, And if they don't reach out, it's just nice to get something from you, right? Like at the end of the day. Hey, just wanted to give you an update. That's a great piece of advice. I feel like all interns and law clerks should um, hear that at one point in their career in the beginning. And don't be afraid to like that you're like bugging or sending Mm -hmm. too many emails because it's it's all part of the process. Just, yeah. I think Ted, like we can relate. Like I used to write the longest emails to try to be professional. Like dear such and such, I hope that this email finds you well. Like, <laughs> I, Monday. I, I'm writing to let you know that I researched this project that you assigned me on this day. Like just be concise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're not wasting anyone's time here. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> well, that's great advice. Um, well, that actually segues into our next question since we've been, you know, chatting about internships mm-hmm. and being a law clerk and stuff. What kind of internships did you guys have when you were at Loyola in law school? Yeah, so I my one L year, there was all this pressure to like, you know, get a certain type of job. Like you should really clerk for a judge. And like I had actually finished my first semester really strong. Um, I can't say the same about my second semester, but first semester was great. And I could have gotten some of those clerkships, but it just didn't interest me. So what I ended up doing instead was just um, working at an immigration firm to help uh, people who were fleeing their countries find asylum in the U.S. It was really great, wow. fulfilling work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was 
crazy narratives of people fleeing horrible, horrible living situations in their countries. So I spent my summer doing that. And even though I knew I wanted to do entertainment law, it's like, I don't know how this is going to be relevant, right? But I just trusted that if I just say yes to the things that I love, that it'll all just make sense at some point. So I did that my 1L year. And then my 2L year, I landed a clerkship, I think it's what it's called, at um, Horvitz and Levy, which is an appellate law firm based in the Valley. They are really well-known um, appellate law firm. You'll find their briefs everywhere. And even then, it wasn't directly relevant to what I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to be an appellate law attorney, but I knew about their reputation. And I wanted to learn about, a lot about like writing, just general skills that would apply everywhere. Uh, writing, researching, um, site checking. Uh, because of that, I'm a really fast site checker. Uh, but when I interviewed at Harder Morrell and Abrams at the time, it was my immigration experience that ultimately got me the job oh, because wow. one of their clients really? had immigration issues. Yeah, oh, that's why that's Jeff right. wanted to meet with me was because I knew all the immigration lingo. So it just goes to show you that you don't really know what experience is going to put wow. you through where you need to be. But as long as you feel like you're getting something out of it, or you're learning and you love it, then I think that's all you can really ask for from an internship. It doesn't need to be shiny and, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't need to have a great label. Not at all. Did you work during the school year as well? Or was it just those? Yeah, I worked during the school year for sure. Horvitz and Levy was my 2L year and it was expected that you kind of work 2L year. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's the same expectation yeah. now. Yeah, kind but, of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you worked at Horvitz and Levy, right? After you graduated? No, after I graduated, no. I was at HMA with you. That was right after you graduated. Okay, right after. got it. Yeah, it was, <laughs> wow. I mean, right after I graduated, I studied for the bar. Mm -hmm. So there was a gap in time. But right after I finished the bar, I started working at Hardin Morrell and Abrams. That's right. Very yeah, cool. I, I got lucky because I told Vivian, who was working mm -hmm. as a legal assistant there at the time, that I was looking for a job. And right after the bar, she was like, hey, they're looking. Amazing. So wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, so many memories are being brought back. <laughs> um, yeah. Seema, why don't you tell us um, what you did during school? I'd love to hear it. Sure. So I was still on that like patent and trademark track. So the first summer I interned at a, like a law firm that was um, focused in patent and trademarks. It was called Hankin Patent Law, literally. Um, <laughs> and I was drafting trademarks and prosecuting all of that and even working in patents, um, kind of like micro dose of patents. So I didn't really know what it all encompassed. Um, and then during my second year at Loyola, I was working at the district attorney's office of um, LA in the high tech crimes division. Um, so, so cool. yeah, it was actually really cool. So we were, you know, representing the county of LA in disputes where people had gone in and like hacked government databases. So like one of the wow. defendants in this, in this case was like 23 years old. Like he was hired by someone to hack into like a hospital database, um, like a, like a county hospital database. And we were trying to figure out the damages and like, I guess all of the liabilities at play. That was very interesting. Um, and I think that started like my interest in the tech world and like digital space and digital like ramifications for digital actions, which I've been really interested in lately. Um, and so that, that was more focused on like research and writing, not really anything IP related. Like you were saying, Suna, like it didn't, it didn't like make sense with my overall trajectory, I feel. Um, but then my second year summer, I worked at a company called Allergan in Irvine. It's a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. And it was this just like general um, rotation internship. So I was rotating through like the corporate IP marketing um, different departments, which was really nice. It wasn't, I feel like I didn't get a comprehensive overview of anything because it was like, it was like too much 10, of everything. Yeah. It was like what, what, like 10 or 12 weeks of 
four different departments, but oh it was really like, I thought that I wanted to eventually work in house as a patent and trademark lawyer. So it was nice to see like the lifestyle that in-house attorneys have different than the lifestyle law firms have. Um, but then I think, and then I studied for the bar and I didn't have anything lined up. But during law school, I was on the um, entertainment law review and I wrote a paper about liability for online defamation. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was it was based on like, like algorithm defamation. So for example, when you type into Google into the search bar, a mm -hmm. certain search query, um, when it will autocomplete, in some cases it's autocompleted defamatory things about people. So oh, like, wow. like the, the one case I saw was um, that got me into it. It was a Hollywood Reporter article mm -hmm. that said um, when Rupert Mur when you typed in Rupert Murdoch in a Google search bar in France, it would autocomplete to hates Jewish people. Oh wow. <sighs> So Rupert Murdoch sued Google in France. And so that started like this idea yeah. of what the liability is. Eventually I found that there is no liability because of section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, like I wanted, I wanted to like, I wanted now. to like stick mm -hmm. it to Google, right? Um, yeah. But oh, I think that, yeah, that's crazy. And in Europe, I think they have like the right to be forgotten or something. They, so they do. They didn't at the time that I uh. originally wrote the article. Mm -hmm. So that now was just do. yeah, that was just a thing um, that was like starting up when I wrote it. Oh. And what was really crazy was like the algorithm was constantly changing. So I would write something, and then the next week I'd have to update this article. <laughs> Um, and I eventually wrote, I, I haven't posted about this anywhere, but I eventually wrote a chapter in a book about um, algorithms and oh, wow. legal implications. Can I show you guys the cover? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, please. That is so awesome. Oh, congratulations. It's, this yeah, is so cool. It's called The Law of Algorithms. It's published by the uh, Cambridge Handbook. Mm -hmm. And I basically okay. like refreshed my article for a chapter in this book, which I think will be like a law school book. I don't know who's actually going to read it. He told he told me it would be for like the lay person, but I don't I don't think a lay person would. What lay person? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Very specific. But I think that my law review article is what got me, what what got the interest of the partners mm -hmm. at Harder mm -hmm. because it was so on point with so the type cool. of work they do. Like defamation was Super really important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah, the digital space. So. If, if you guys have opportunities to write on journals or contribute in some way like that, it's, I think it's so great to have that stuff on your resume. And mm -hmm. I could, you know, I, I had the meeting with them. I sent them my resume. I sent them the article. Um, so many people who I've interviewed with have asked for the article. So I think that that's really helpful. That's so amazing. That is so cool. And I also just never thought about algorithm defamation before. What else? And I know, right? Yeah. A lot That's of so it, like, interesting. A, a I want to read it now. This, <laughs> this stuff comes up in like Hollywood Reporter, like mm -hmm. the Esquire section. Mm -hmm. There will be like something or even TMZ will like say something. You just have to think about it creatively. And there's a lot yeah. of the article everywhere if you look yeah. for it. No, absolutely. Oh, that is so cool. I mean, our next question was actually going to be about, you know, how you went about looking for a job after graduation, but you both kind mm -hmm. of summarized um, your path so far, but I'm going to flip it around and just ask if you have any advice to give to people who will be embarking on the job hunt, such as Kayla and myself <laughs> later this year, Yeah, um, things we can do, things we can also improve on, on ourselves and be more self-aware about. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's a competitive market, right? So you need to be competitive, but I do find that a lot of people who want to work in entertainment don't know why. So mm -hmm. when you finally get that interview, after all that networking is done, it doesn't feel genuine when you're meeting someone, you know, like if I asked, I'm not going to ask you guys right now and put you on the spot. Right. <laughs> but it'd be like, Kayla, why do you want to work in entertainment law? Right. And a lot of people don't know. They don't right. have the answer to that yeah. because, and they don't have like a genuine interest. So I th my biggest advice to everyone is always just to stay up to date with everything that's going on. You really mm -hmm. need to live and breathe it. You know, you need to know what the major studios are doing, all this yeah. stuff about like HBO Max coming out with mm -hmm. all their films, you know, on the streaming platform, same day as the theatrical release. Like those are things that 
are great to have in conversation in your interviews, right? Um, of course, you have to land the interviews first, which right. is really just a lot of networking. It really is. Yeah. If you don't have the pre-existing relationships, you really just have to put yourself out there and be comfortable with getting ghosted. You know, there yeah. are going to be a lot mm-hmm. of people that don't ever give you a, yep. a time of day, but there are going to be those people that will, even just for, you know, 30 minutes of their day. I always respond to emails from random law students who might have found my profile on LinkedIn mm-hmm. or something, just because I really appreciate that um, go-getter mentality. And that's something I would have done. Um, and those are the people that are really gonna, they might not have a job for you at that time, but they will know someone, you know, like it, Seema introduced me to Tracy, her, a friend of hers. Uh, and I went to an event that Tracy was hosting and I had a chance to get to know her and she was able to get me an interview at Netflix because I saw she knew someone there. Nice. And I wow. emailed her again, was like, Tracy, like it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was so great to meet you that night. I have an interview with, well, there's a job opening at Netflix and I didn't ask her to put in a word for me. I just said, do you know anything about this person? You know, I'm going to try to reach out. And she yeah. was like, gave me the full scoop. was like, this is how you're going to talk to him. And I'm going to connect you. You know, you just never know how those things are going to pan out. So I go everywhere. I'm all over the mm-hmm. place all the time, meeting new people. If you invite me to an event and I'm free, I'm there. <laughs> Oh, great. I love that. The key is to be genuine, Mm -hmm. right? Because networking can come off really disingenuous at certain events, right? I don't think it's necessary for you to go to all the networking events that you see emailed in your Mm -hmm. inbox, right? But if there's one that feels natural to you, you should definitely go. And when I went with Seema, it felt very natural because her and I were friends and I was just going Mm -hmm. to hang out with Seema. And if I met someone there, great. Yeah, yeah. And Seema, what about you? Do you have any words of wisdom for us? Yeah, I mean, mine goes along with the networking. Um, I, I always tell everyone to just, like right now we're in a time where we can like email people and not have to see people face to face. So I always tell people to try to like meet three new people a week. So what I used to do when I was in law school is I'd scroll like law firm websites or even LinkedIn and find people's profiles um, that were interesting to me and you know the places where they worked were interesting mm-hmm. to me and I would just reach out via email like a quick thing like came across your profile thought I think the work you do is amazing I'd love to like find some time to chat mm-hmm. and more often than not I would get responses and people would just talk to me about their journeys and yeah, how like, mm-hmm. and it's also nice to hear other people's stories because totally. you start to realize that there isn't this like one pattern of people who get into entertainment. It's mm-hmm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. So that's also comforting to know that it's not like, it's not like one trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I would recommend emailing people who interest you and like Ted said, not being afraid if they don't respond. The worst thing they're going to do is not respond, right? Yeah. The best, the best they're going to do is like you have, you like they take you out to lunch mm-hmm. or introduce you to your next employer um, or know the person yeah. who's interviewing for another spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing is just trying to be as brief as possible in communications. Yeah. That's been very helpful and it's very necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to be different for everyone. It's literally going to be different for everyone. Like not everyone is comfortable with that. And I don't expect people to ever be comfortable with that. Because it might not be with just emailing and just being this crazy social butterfly. Yeah. At the the very least, just talk about it. Put that energy out there. Because I ultimately found my entertainment law job not through any of my networking efforts. Mm -hmm. It was literally because I told my cousin mm-hmm. just in passing conversation like what I was hoping for after law school and that applies to anyone with friends don't mm-hmm. just think that people aren't interested in hearing that you know when you go out to dinner with your friends you should tell them hey I'm looking for a job you know like this is where I'm at right now with mm-hmm. law school I'm about to finish and you know I'm nervous I hope I can land a job just even letting them know without being so like mm-hmm. crass about it is a good way to just let people know and then they'll always have that in the back of their mind, which ultimately my cousin did when the partner was like, I need a position to fill. 
I was the first one on her mind because I had just spoken to her about it. So, you know, if networking is not your thing, then just go out with your friends and just let them know that this is what I want. There we go. We manifest it somehow by putting it into the yeah, universe. Yeah, manifest it <laughs> Exactly. Just yeah. talk about it until you're sick of hearing it. That's really cool. Anna and I are, we're really, really big on networking. Yeah, I mean, like especially on week, the podcast. <laughs> last yeah. week, I, I mean, was on networking call. Sorry, what? Kayla, you're amazing at it. You're amazing yeah. at it. I, I actually had four networking calls, all from random Southwestern alumni nice. um, from LinkedIn okay. last week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're all so I watched cool. Kayla apply for law school. So I know what she can do. You know her capabilities. (laughs) And you know what? I'm going to stick it to all those schools that rejected me after the wait list, (laughs) telling me that I would not succeed because my LSAT score was too low. So I'm just going to stick it to them. I know. It literally means nothing. Even like like law school grades to some degree don't mean anything. I I was in the bottom half of my class. I was told I wasn't going to pass the bar exam. Wow. Um, but Ugh. some people just adjust to law school differently. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. it's a completely different experience. I, I learned biology and how to take a science exam. Like a law school exam is much different than that field, Absolutely. right? So yeah. um, I don't think that grades, like, I don't think you should be afraid if your grades are not excellent. Mm-mm. No, yeah. no, no. I told, I was like telling people on this podcast, you know, in the past that my first semester was awful. Well, yeah. my first year was awful and I was at the bottom half of my class too. And then, you know, come 2L and 3L, I'm now on the top 50% because I like significantly bumped up my GPA mm-hmm. just from, you know, gaining confidence and yeah. learning you how learn, it all you works. Learn. Yeah. I yeah. was the reverse. It's- I started off really strong and then my colleagues <laughs> rose to the occasion. And that curve. No, not me. I got cocky and that curve took me down. <laughs> But it is good to stay on, like, once you hit the top after 1L, it's really, it's easy to stay on top yeah, for, but for you know us what? at least. My GPA, even though I did really well at the beginning, I was floating around, like, the top 20 space, and it really meant nothing. Wow. Um, yeah. Because I was at Loyola, which was not technically a T14 school, mm-hmm. right? And <laughs> yeah. the big firms are very, I don't know, they're very... Very pedigree oriented. Oh yeah. 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 So it, it didn't mean anything for me at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. you know, like even it made no difference for me after law school. No one even asked for my GPA. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I love the space. Cause I don't know. I don't know. They don't ask me my GPA. They don't care that I got a C in copyright. That was like the worst class I've ever taken. (laughs) um, Copyright is hard. That's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, kind of moving on with that, um, Mm -hmm. kind of segueing into our next question. So I know you kind of talked about, you know, working at Harder Morell and Abrams after Mm -hmm. um, graduation. Um, Were there any other firms or places that you worked for, you know, before starting your own firm? And kind of like, what was that process like to start your own firm? You know, why did you decide to do it? Um, Yeah. Stuff like that. My story is a little short when it comes to this because Harder Morell and Abrams was the only firm that I worked at before quitting. But prior to that, I had worked at a lot of law firms. So it wasn't like I needed Mm to sample what it's like you know, everywhere else. I already had a sense of what firm life was like. So, you know, I worked at Harder Morale Abrams for, I think, close to three years, working with SEMA for a part of it, working for with mm-hmm. you, Kayla, for a part of it. And I was interviewing at a lot of places after about two years. Yeah. Because I felt like I needed to just grow more and it, I wasn't growing anymore in there. And so I interviewed at Netflix, I think a total of 14 times separate interviews oh wow (laughs) so many phone calls casual so many people in different departments it was for two Mm -hmm. jobs Mm -hmm. two jobs about 14 interviews rejected made it pretty far on for both jobs but Mm -hmm. for the first job they said I had too much experience and would be bored or the other job I had too little experience and would have been overwhelmed oh my god that's, so it, that's so Netflix is one of them. I, I interviewed at SEMA's firm, Donaldson and Califf. Um, wow. They rejected me as well because they went with <laughs> someone who had already worked at the firm and who could just, you know, hit the ground running. So I was yeah. rejected there. After a certain point, I was like, I, I'm not waiting on any more opportunities. I was conflicted out of other firms because we had too many conflicts between Harder, Merle, and Abrams. And I think it was um, 
Davis Wright Tremaine. They wanted to interview mm-hmm. me, but there was too many conflicts. It just felt like it wasn't in the cards. And after mm-hmm. a certain point, I realized that I had my own book of business that I was referring out to other people. Seema got a few of those clients too. And after just being completely jaded by the whole process, I just, me and Seema, Seema and I met at La Duray on mm-hmm. Rodeo Drive. Yeah, I think. love it. It was like, let's, why are we doing this on our own? Amazing. <laughs> So we kind of began the exit strategy at that mm-hmm. point, you know, uh, slowly, both of us trying to transition out because quitting our jobs were, it was novel to both of us, you know, not having a steady yeah. check. But yeah, and the rest is kind of history. Seema kind of followed the same path, except she had, she has more experience than I do. I'm looking at the day that I quit my job and it was March 18th of 2019. Wow. So we like, we set up, we, we basically started working in April, 2019. So it'll be two years soon. Um, But my, my path started at harder really is where I did the litigation work. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was like strictly entertainment litigation, but I think Ted and Kayla know that the firm's trajectory changed a little bit. Um, started working like I when I was there we were working on a lot of right of privacy right of publicity disputes um, commercial infringements defamation and by the time I left like the clientele had shifted and it was mostly defamation focused which was which was great but I I think while I was there I knew that I wanted to focus more on the transactional side of things Um, I didn't love being like that my schedule was controlled by a court calendar that's really that's really hard to work around um and I wanted to I wanted to build projects and not just work on things after they had already been destroyed and like fixing and clean up so when I when I made the transition from litigation to transactional work from Harder Merrill and Abrams to Donaldson and Califf a lot of people again told me I would it would be very hard to do so they were like if you you can't go from litigation to transactional it's not going to work and I was like, okay, well, may, what if I eventually want to go in-house? They're like, well, you need to have a transactional role. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to get transactional work if you're telling me that I can't <sighs> transition from litigation to transactional? Like the only thing I've been doing is entertainment work. Yeah. So it's really, it's really unfortunate that like, we, like we don't, in the entertainment world, like we don't know the path of like how to eventually get to where you want to be, right? Um, so, you know, everyone said it was going to be impossible. I'm sorry, my dog's barking in the background. Um, (laughs) But I went on a couple interviews with Donaldson Califf and and one or two other firms. And they really liked that I had this like true life experience on disputes in the invasion of privacy and right of publicity space because they work with a lot of independent filmmakers and documentarians. Mm -hmm. So those issues actually come up and like, we had to advise our clients on how to avoid risk in those spaces. Um, so I got a job there after being at Harder for almost three years. Um, I was at Donaldson and Caliph for a little less than two years. Um, and the reason I chose to leave is like Ted said, like we both, I think we're just jaded by the law firm life. Um, yeah. I was looking for in-house positions. So that's what I thought I eventually wanted to do. Just wasn't really sticking. Um, and yeah, I think also with the law firm structure, I didn't love that you have this delineation between partner, senior associate, junior associate, and then the client. So when I would get work from partners, I wasn't always given all of the information that I needed to do my job. So I was like, yeah, I was like drafting stuff, but I was missing pieces and then the partner would get annoyed. Like law firm partners can be horrendous. I was getting yelled at by people I did not need to get yelled at by. Um, Clients were upset because there was this disconnect between what they were telling the partners and the work that they were getting. And I was just, it was, it's just like not a way to do work when like our, our jobs as lawyers is to prevent risk and to advise our clients. And if we don't have all the information to do that, it's a waste of my time. So it is an adjustment with firms. Because yeah. it's like the only place where you have like eight bosses. Yeah. And everyone has a different yeah. style. So, and it's, and it's challenging because, because you want to impress everyone and do a good job for everyone, but it's hard to impress 
all of the type A personalities you will have to deal with all the time. In like every job that I've had, I'm like, I convince myself that everyone hates me. I don't know why, but I, I literally am like, oh my God, I'm not doing this well enough. Or like, they think I'm stupid. Like I, I do think that, and that does scare me going it's out hard, into the workforce. I mean, it's hard to work with, it's hard to work with lawyers and I don't know if they're yeah. all inherently unhappy, but our jobs are stressful. Like there's a lot of liability yeah. that we have to deal with. Um, so I quit my job. Ted and I had been discussing um, at Lingerie and other fancy Beverly Hills locations. <laughs> yeah. um, like party hopping. I love it. Yeah. Oh my God. That's where our office was, by the way. We didn't just meet. Like South Rodeo Drive. Like mine possibly. was on Beverly Drive. Ted was on South Rodeo. Yeah. Like we would just walked from our jobs to these like nice restaurants and that's where the business took it for granted ted i miss it yeah, so much now I miss just, it. um what i would do for a la scala salad kayla <laughs> oh my god i stopped i stopped by there last weekend and it was divine you guys let's go let's go i'm here um, <laughs> i'm five minutes away <laughs> um but where was i going with that yeah so I, I quit my job i had nothing lined up the firm was not happy with the fact that i left and quit like that but you just like, like I was going into work every day and I was unhappy and I didn't know why yeah. I was doing what I was doing. So I left, I took a, some time off. I didn't, I was interviewing with a couple companies. I was interviewing, one of them was Apple and they like kept me on the hook for six months and didn't tell me oh, if wow. I got the job, which I eventually didn't. And thank God Ted and I had like started our our career or our firm because <laughs> I wouldn't have known what to do um wow but we just like we set it up and it was and it's been really good like eventually yeah. like first it was really scary it was very yes. hard because we're so used to like the reason that we're we went to law school and had these jobs was to have financial um financial uh stability, stability. yeah <laughs> Like, what's that word? Financial <laughs> stability. And yes, you kind of like we left all of that. And we just and Ted was actually so great in um in motivating me when because mm. he, he just had this mentality where it's like you need to manifest it, it'll come to you. Just <laughs> like keep putting it out there, it'll come, it'll come, oh, yeah. like don't worry. And he was totally right. And there were so many days where I even remember Ted like like April of la of 2019, where you're like, I'm just dusting off my fiddle leaf fig tree. And yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. nice that I have time the middle to do of the this. Day. <laughs> I was like broke, but happy. That's all that matters. There you right? go. <laughs> it's weird though, when you change your tone with people, mm -hmm. when it's not, I work for so-and-so, it's, I yeah. work for myself. I have my own business. Everyone, all your loved ones will rally behind you mm -hmm. and start just referring you to everybody. You know, it's a complete change of tone. So when you're working full time and you have these aspirations to start your own firm, it feels impossible because you're like, where am I going to drum up this business? Mm -hmm. I'm not getting yeah. it. But once you change your your tone and the mm -hmm. way that you speak about yourself as an attorney, that changes the way people react to you. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Manifestation. Totally. Yeah. I don't know and what it is about manifesting. <laughs> yeah. Confidence is definitely key. Yeah. Um, and yeah. your survival instincts just kick in mm -hmm. and, and you'll make even it like, Even like our first client calls, like some of my clients had reached out to me on LinkedIn from work I'd done previously mm -hmm. um, and they wanted to continue working. But um, even like those initial calls where I was like discussing my rates and my fees and the type of work I do, those were so hard to have initially. Mm -hmm. like you yeah, have this like awkward. feeling like in your throat you're like oh my god am I like over am I staying too much like <laughs> imposter syndrome yeah that that sounds yeah that's kind of scary and intimidating but can you guys tell us more about the process of getting everything set up like kind of the logistics of it because I'm realizing that I know nothing about starting a law practice and I would I would personally love to know more about that yeah, I do think it's important that you do have some experience at a law firm rather than none at mm -hmm. all. It might mm -hmm. not be as an attorney. It might be as a secretary, a law clerk, you know, whatever it is to get yourself in there, because there are a lot of admin things that <laughs> law school doesn't train you for. Indeed. Right. right? That true. includes billing, 
insurance, um, you know, how to use word processing, right? Like if you don't know mm-hmm. how to use word, you're going to have a huge problem yeah. when you start your own practice, <laughs> right? Even like uh, drafting the letter and like yeah, even mailing just- the letter, like that's stuff that like it's not intuitive necessarily. Right. So don't yeah. shy away from the admin stuff when you're working. Like don't be above it because those skills are necessary if you have aspirations of having your own practice. Like right. don't just hand off your bills to the, the secretary, you know. You really should be hands-on as much as you can. So it's like when you if you wanted to own a restaurant, right? You would have to be the waitress, the busboy, yeah. the, you know, general manager in order to properly own one. Uh, so, and everything else you just kind of figure out on the way, right? Mm-hmm. Like I knew the only thing that I knew we had to do was set up a bank account, get some malpractice mm-hmm. insurance and, you know, have an email. right? And, and set up, and set up the yeah. entity. Yeah. And set up the entity. That was all that we mm-hmm. were armed with and everything else was wow. just, they came up as we were going. And our, and our website yeah. was something like, I think when I was in law school, I knew that I eventually wanted to consult or do something different. So I had just like looked up names. This was back in like 2013. And I was yeah. sitting, like I was sitting with my now husband, then boyfriend. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this name Create LLP is available. Um, Which is crazy. He, yeah, it's yeah. so crazy. And he was like, it's a okay, great name. He's like, I'm going to buy it for you. And so he bought this domain and he had just kept Thanks, it until 2019. It was probably like, what, 40 bucks a month or, so, or a year. But he had been paying it for like five years. And eventually oh, wow. it like it blossomed into a real thing. That's amazing. He helps us with all of our tech stuff too. He's our IT guy. God bless. Yeah. That's so cute. I love that. And he, he raises red flags about security and things like that, you know. And insurance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's our yeah. like risk risk officer and IT guy. Wow, that's so, that's so convenient yeah. that you, know, you just like the, yeah, have someone to help with that. The thing about starting a law firm though is that there is very little overhead outside of those immediate things. You can quickly become in the green super fast. I don't see when oh. I actually have never been in the red. Um, since starting oh, wow. the firm. That's amazing. Because of just the low overhead costs. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> there's not yeah, very that's many. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Th- there's not a lot like you, like a lot of it is just annual fees to set up, to have yeah. the business, to set up the insurance website, yeah. email, and the rest is all just. just Your time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how do you go about you know, broadening your clientele? Because obviously, Ted, you were saying how like, tell, tell, tell your clients, not your clients, your family members, and like, they'll start mm-hmm. referring you to everyone. Um, other than word of mouth, is are there ways to market your law firm to get more like entertainment IP type clients? Yeah. Doing stuff like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Doing yeah. stuff like this. Um, I've yeah. also, I'm also very active in the Facebook groups. Oh God. Somehow. Yeah. When I, when I had no work, you guys, like I was so scared. Oh, Ted no. knows. I was, I was yeah. freaking out. I was like, I just need to make this X amount and I'm not making it yet. Yeah. So I would, I would sign up for different Facebook groups and I would just comment publicly as like the, the lawyer in the group. Oh, cool. Some of that actually turned into business and it's like been recurring business because now people will refer, Mm -hmm. refer our firm to others, which has been really cool. Um, And even like those communities are so supportive. So if you have any like special interests, I would recommend, like I had never used Facebook like this before, just sign up for those groups and like participate. And that's another way to get your name out there. It's all just making, like, it's all just connecting people with your, your name and the type Mm -hmm. of work you do. Mm -hmm. You can't accomplish anything by like keeping it inside of you. Right. You can't keep all your hopes and dreams in your mind thinking that you don't want to be vulgar by like talking about it so much, but it's really super necessary. Um, Word of mouth has been the only way I've been getting business because I was a photographer prior to starting law school, a lot of my really close friends work in the creative space. So networking for me, is just going out to dinner with my friends and talking to them about what I'm doing and then them referring me, you know, it just makes it (laughs) so much easier when, you know, I go to one friend's house and they'll invite a few of their friends. And oftentimes from that one little backyard event, I got 
I'll get three clients from that. You know, oh, wow. with the pandemic, it's been hard to mm-hmm. do that. But towards the more towards the end of last year, where we knew that being outside was like a safe thing to do, my friend from New York flew into town. Was like, hey, why don't you come over to my friend's house? We're just doing a little backyard thing with the four of us. I went and I literally got three clients from that, you know, um, just wow. because it's natural that people want to know what you're doing. You know, yeah. wow. if you can be the only lawyer in the room, you're the only person that can help them. <laughs> this is I'm true. <laughs> but I've also learned that the flip side of that, um, I used to work at the WeWork space locally and there would be like some events and I would go to them, like some like filmmaker events. And there was always another attorney there. And I would always mm. think that he was my competition until I spoke <laughs> with him and he was really cool. And he was like, actually, there's like, there's so much, there are so many t- different types of clients. Like there's so many people, there's so much work to be done. It's not a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that, that mentality also changed um, how I see the business where it's like, you can be supportive of other lawyers while still having a good client base and a strong client base. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Definitely. I, I could see where the competitive, like the competitiveness lies. Um, you're, I mean, you're taught would, to be competitive be in law school. Right. Yeah. yeah that's what I was going to say. Cause I feel like even with the curve, it's just, they're setting you up to be yeah. against each other. But when, when you're, you're out with each other. I don't, I mean, we can't speak for everyone, but Seema and I are never talking about like this person's doing that. We need to like step up our game or yeah. we'd really just, if we're happy with the word, doing we don't really care about what other people are doing it's good to know to stay competitive that's for sure and if someone's doing it much better than you then there's a lot of learning points but we are never comparing ourselves to our detriment where we like feel like crap about ourselves and yeah you know good that's great. That's that's honestly great advice. Yeah, <laughs> for us especially now. Yeah, well, totally. yeah. Like once you leave law school, like those people, like you, you may negotiate with your classmates, right? So right. they're right. no longer your competition. You want to be friendly with people to get the deal across, right? And yeah, totally. Yeah, so it it helps to be nice. A nice person. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so always, always be the bigger person. Um, yeah. So. Going off of that, um, so we just wanted to know, you know, like the type of work that you do. Um, we're so happy to hear that you guys love what you do. Yeah. So what exactly is that? What What does a day look like, you know, for you, especially now or even bef- before COVID? Yeah, I mean, it's we kind of just go with the flow for the most part <laughs> in terms of our day because it's just whoever needs us the most. Yeah. But in terms of my practice, it's a little bit different from SEMA's. I represent a lot of talent in the digital creation space, um, a lot of influencers, YouTubers. I've been working with a lot of interior designers recently, but they also cool. have a, a digital component to their career, right? They're not just mm-hmm. an interior designer. It's I'm an interior designer, but I'm getting a feature on Architectural Digest, right? Oh, um, yeah. It's when or it Netflix. leads into the the media space. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. I, have, yeah. I actually have an interior designer who's, potentially on a Netflix show. Oh, nice. Um, So that is my main clientele right now. It's mostly people in that space, in the corporate space Mm -hmm. as well. A lot of digital creators have businesses that are outside of themselves where they have product and things like that, where they leverage their uh, social media to sell these products. But that triggers a lot of corporate transactions that I end up having to do and employment issues because they're hiring people out. Um, so it's, it's a wide range of stuff. Like when you work in entertainment, you just kind of, you become your client's safety blanket. So they'll come to you for everything. You know, I've been asked about restraining orders for my clients, no idea, right? But the key uh, is that <laughs> I appreciate that I'm the first call and I'll refer you out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so funny. And then Seema just has a, a com- entirely different book of business. Yeah, like I work with some talent, but most mm-hmm. of my clients are producers um, and some directors. So I work still in the independent film space. Um, so documentaries and also feature films that are like mid to low budget. So maybe max 5 million. Um, but I've also been working on feature films 
Um, I, I do contract work at another law firm, which is another way to get business. I feel like it's a very um, undersought way to get business, but um, contract roles are actually amazing because you're getting paid like a really good hourly rate and they're only expecting you to work 10 to 20 hours per week. So oh, those are, those are really, yeah, that. those are really great gigs. I feel like they want people with at least like four to five years of experience, yeah. but in that capacity, I work on huge feature projects, uh, budgets between like five to 15 million. Um, so I work on all the deals, like talent deals, producer, director, writer deals, um, development deals, wow. attachment and shopping agreements, all the way to distribution. Wow. So negotiating with like a Netflix or an HBO mm-hmm. over the the rights that will then be transferred to the company. Um, I'm trying to think of others. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of podcast work lately, um, which is an interesting industry. Yeah. Um, and I'm dealing with like one weird issue with the guilds and podcasts. Ted, I don't, I haven't talked to you about this yet, but I was looking at rates for talent that do voiceovers on podcasts and a lot of like most of the rates are listed. There's like minimums listed in SAG's minimum agreement and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm looking for the podcast rates and my clients and I both came up with different numbers, like four different times. (laughs) Eventually I was like, let's reach out to SAG and see what, what we have to do here. And the advice from SAG was you first have to apply to become a SAG signatory on this project. And then we'll yeah. tell you the rates for the talent. Oh, fun times. And like, fun so, times. So like that kind of stuff comes up where we're trying to <laughs> yeah. engage the talent, but we don't know the rates, which is also bizarre because like the rates should be properly defined by I'm, SAG. I'm surprised that it's not in the collective bargaining agreement that you can find online. Well, it's not the, like there's like, there's new media and there's, that's yeah. True. Yeah. there's different, there's different categories, but none of them actually applies to podcasts. They'll they probably you, add it though. next time when they renegotiate it. Because I remember um, in 2018, before law school, I worked at a production company doing, um, I was an executive assistant to business affairs. And we had this issue because we were doing uh, two TV shows for Facebook. And there was the whole debate between AVOD versus SVOD, but none of it was in the agreement. And it was the same for the WGA as well. And I remember we went through the same thing. They kept telling us, oh, you just have to be a signatory first and then we'll tell you. Or like, you're a signatory, but we can't really tell you. And I think it was because the rates literally did not exist yet. And then they were right. waiting to renegotiate them the next however many years later. So they they just renegotiated the rates in, mm-hmm. I want to say, Ju- October, June of yeah. last year. So yeah. I, like, I can't imagine having to wait longer. But right. anyway, so that's like the type of stuff we deal with mm-hmm. where we have to get our clients advice, but it's not necessarily out there. Yeah. Um, and people are buying and selling a lot of IP right now, I feel like, because everyone's are. trying to come up with something on a streaming network or on a YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I've been dealing with a lot of writer stuff, like writer service agreements, option agreements, where people are picking up um, books to turn into something or the other side where they're optioning their books and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's yeah. really, it's like the entertainment space has changed so much. Mm-hmm. that I think it's just created a ton of opportunity for people. Yeah, definitely. I have a question actually going off of having to figure out new types of deals or um, you know, with technology advancing or all these acquisitions happening. When you come across something that you've either never done or have limited exposure to, obviously you two are the only lawyers at your firm. How do you approach mm-hmm. that? Like, do you do consults with lawyers that you know, or I don't know, do you have like a Westlaw treatise that you go to if you there's have no, Westlaw since you're not there's no litigation? Treatise. <laughs> there's no treatise on this actually. Right. Um, I just call SEMA in a panic. Some of it's like, yeah, it's oh that. And like some of it's like mm-hmm. asking the client if they have any other info mm-hmm. or even just testing it out. Like sometimes you just have to start the negotiation somewhere yeah. and see what yeah. sticks. Okay. Um, and there's really no right or wrong way to do things. If it works for you and it makes sense in your mind, chances yeah. are you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, there's only so many ways you can do something. And right. we also just have a lot of... Um, mentors that we have access to we obviously Mm -hmm. can't 
ask them all the time, but you know, we do have people that we can fall back on yeah. in, in case you, there, there has to be a limit. And I of course believe that you should push yourself out mm-hmm. of your comfort zone, but there is a point where it's like, this is malpractice. <laughs> Let's not trigger the insurance and there you call go. up like a, a yeah. more experienced well, attorney, a more experienced attorney who you could pay. And sometimes yeah. it's going to cost you more money to pay this attorney than for you to just do it yourself. But it's an investment in your business mm-hmm. and an investment in learning through this mm-hmm. older attorney. So there have been some cases where I didn't make any money from it, but I learned a ton. Mm-hmm, so yeah. now I can, right? Oh, that's great. So you kind of have to think forwardly and not just think I need the cash now. So I'm just going to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is some value in kind of giving up that money and learning from somebody else, yeah. but staying educated and reading is an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. I haven't had time to stay educated lately, but well, you work. I guess <laughs> just working, yeah, just working is staying up to date. But I, I do miss the like didactic learning about what else is out there. Yeah. yeah. And Google is your best friend. Yeah, really, you can find me. you can find everything out there if there's things that you just are totally overwhelmed with, and a lot of talent for me at least, we'll have managers. Right. You know, and there are some things that the manager should answer over Mm -hmm. an attorney. For instance, like, what's my rate on this project? What should it be? Uh, Mm -hmm. As an attorney, you can't possibly know what that person's rate should be because I don't know anything about their career, you know, what they've done in the past, the accolades they've received. A manager is going to say, you know, even though this person only has five years of experience in this space, she has, you know, all these awards under her belt. You know, she's friends with all these people. Therefore, she's worth more. That is a manager's job. So you kind of have to defer to experts. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not expected to know everything because mm-hmm. um, it's impossible. Yeah, I think that's really good advice to, really to take is. home. Um, yeah. I mean, we definitely talk about imposter syndrome all the time. And it's like, am I good mm-hmm. enough? Or, you know, do I really know what I'm doing? But I mean, even in the, you know, professional responsibility rules of ethics, like they tell you, if you don't know how to do something, (laughs) you got to go research it and and Mm -hmm. figure it out. So like a lot of being a lawyer is is just that it's like, yeah, someone has Mm -hmm. an issue and you need to figure it out. Yeah. That's all it is. You have the tools. That's all. How good, how good at researching are you? Like (laughs) figuring this out. Right. right. What's that fish analogy? You're not going to catch the fish for someone. You just give them the tools to capture it themselves. <laughs> That's essentially well, what law school is. You have the tools. Yeah, to yeah. that really it. is. Teach a man to fish. Exactly. And yeah. what's that? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like give a man a fish, feed him for one day, teach a man to fish, feed him for the rest of his life. <laughs> that is what law school oh, is. There you go. Is what an amazing analogy. Yeah. yeah, I definitely feel that. Yeah, it's because it, I feel like sometimes, um, you know, we spend three years reading all these cases, doing all these things, doing law review or negotiations or moot court or whatever. But then to graduate and be like, oh, okay, so I need to like learn more and do more, but I'm never going to know everything. So <laughs> I like the work. emphasis yeah. <laughs> on the skills, like building yeah. the skills and having that mm-hmm. as like your um, lens of viewing everything since uh, it makes you feel better about not knowing everything. <laughs> Right. You're Just, not, yeah, you're well, never going to know everything. Yeah. You don't, have don't ever feel, don't ever feel embarrassed yeah. about that. Yeah. All or questions. And I've negotiated, I've negotiated yeah. against partners who are way more my senior. And there are mm-hmm. th- times where they wow. don't even really know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so it's just the nature of what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, listen, just by talking to you guys, I, I'm even considering, you know, do I want to start my own? Yeah, firm Kayla, maybe future? we should set up you our totally LLP. Could. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, Max has kept saying like that's something that you should consider, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, we'll yeah, see. Maybe you totally should. Yeah, but that's so. that. You guys have given us some fantastic advice, and and really, thank you for, you know, joining us and talking about your paths. Um, it's really, really good to to hear that you guys are doing so well, especially yeah. during a pandemic. Oh, <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Thank You've you. definitely dem- demystified the process of 
starting your own practice? Because I think that all law students are like, oh, maybe I should go out and do my own thing one day. And it's nice to hear how it's doable and you just have to have the drive and commitment to it. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for having us. Always good to to see you, Kayla, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you guys too. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Well, that was such a great conversation. I feel like I learned a lot about opening your own practice, which is something, I mean, I said this earlier, but I've always wondered what goes into it because it feels like such a daunting and kind of scary experience. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, it definitely (laughs) has proven to show that, you know, you can really do anything and Mm -hmm. gave me a lot of confidence for sure on how to approach, you know, the next few years. That's for sure. Yeah. And I loved all of their advice on kind of building relationships. I mean, which is obviously what we talk about a lot on this podcast, but, you know, hearing their input on networking and how they go about building their business as well. That was really nice. And, you know, we're doing something, right? Absolutely. Well, Thanks for tuning in, you guys. I know this is a longer episode than usual, but we were, you know, so excited to speak with them and we hope you enjoyed it too. So let us know if you have any questions or anything like that. We look forward to seeing you at our next episode. There we go. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. Bye.